You're listening to the Fix the Money, Fix the World Show on the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. Here's your host, Luke Mickich. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Rob Sultan. Uh, he's a really interesting character. He had a um, he runs a very successful YouTube channel and he uh, has a precious metals business. So we, we touched on um, a lot of different topics, but in particular, um, the whole battle between the gold bugs and the Bitcoin bugs. We also talked about nation state FOMO and the possibility of them potentially um, acquiring Bitcoin as we speak. We talk on market cycles, micro strategy, Bitcoin miners. We, we touch on it all in this one and uh, uh, Rob dropped some serious alpha for any young people out there. Uh, looking to uh, kind of chase their dreams or be successful in life. Uh, Rob dropped some pretty serious alpha towards the end of the video. So make sure you stay tuned for that one. Um, I really hope you guys enjoy this one. Uh, But before we jump into it, we better hear from today's show sponsor, who is Coinbeast. Do you have questions about Bitcoin? Personalize your learning and book a one-on-one video call with a Bitcoin pro on Coinbeast Connect. You can learn about mining, security, the Lightning Network, taxes, and many other topics. It's really easy. Choose your topic and pro, select a date when you're available and bring your questions to the meeting room. Book your first call today by going to coinbeast.com and clicking on the connect tab. Be prepared for the financial revolution and get the knowledge you need. So uh, welcome back to the Fix the Money, Fix the World podcast, guys. Uh, I'm your host. My name is Luke. And today I have got the one and the only Rob Sultan on the podcast uh, with us today. Rob is someone who I've spoken to for many and many hours on these uh, Twitter spaces calls over the past couple of months. And it's been an absolute pleasure to get to know him. Um, and it's about time we finally have a conversation face to face. So, uh, Rob, thank you so much for coming on, my friend. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing, Luke? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm doing great, mate. And as a uh, former gold bug and precious metals fan myself, I was especially excited to get you on the podcast. So maybe before we get into things, just give us a little bit of background of what you were doing uh, before you launched your YouTube channel and what you're doing now. I've been into collectibles for about, and I like to say collectibles because it's like um, I'm in a broad area of things where I started in rare coins, went from rare coins and numismatics into bullion. Um, I, I kind of uh, was, I kind of worked kind of protege under a rare coin dealer. And then I saw that there was like bricks of silver in the vault. And I'm like, wait, what, you got like the, the brick bricks, like, like the actual, like when you think in your mind, even if you don't know anything about gold and silver or anything about metals, you think these like bank bricks, you know, those, those pyramid, you know, if you watch that movie, um, what's that movie I'm thinking out with Mark Wahlberg or something. Um, oh, God, anyway, they, they, there's, there's a certain movie that they, they, they steal, they steal these gold bars. It'll come to me, but it's like, they, they steal these gold bars. And it's like, you think of all of them as that's perfect rank bar and i saw those in silver at one time in, in a safe and i'm like wait a minute whoa, whoa whoa the coins are cool and i always like the coins but you got bricks over there that's interesting and so the bullion space interested me and then i had found that there was bars that were like old and had history to them that were from like the 1930s 1940s 50s 60s that were actually like u.s assay bars stuff like that that had a big collectible premium on top of the actual value of the metal so some of these bars could have a premium of like 10x over the metal value so you might have like a five ounce silver bar that's melt weight is like 150 bucks but trading at a thousand bucks because it's a rare bar and so there was like this niche market that was developing in vintage bullion and i kind of gravitated towards that and found my one niche so i guess like if um, someone was looking to start a company or or have a good idea 
finding a specific little niche and getting very good at it can really help you in the beginning. And that was my, of all things, like nobody would think, oh, old, old silver bars and old gold bars, like that nobody's looking at that has collectible value. Nobody would think that that would be a whole business that could wrap around that, but that's what got me my starting, uh, my nest egg. And then I went from there into being fully involved in bullion, collectibles of all kinds, rare coins, um, currency, rare, rare notes. I actually just had a really beautiful gold note uh, come in the other day all kinds of collectibles now. So like, I kind of like have a broad figure of it as collectibles instead of just being like a, a bullion dealer, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, I, you mentioned uh, the silver there. Uh, you recently done a video uh, comparing the actual size of silver and gold and the densities of silver, gold, platinum, and palladium. And for anybody who hasn't uh, held the different precious metals in their hands before, it's a really funny feeling holding gold it feels so heavy for its size. It's so heavy and dense. And then you pick up a silver bar for the same size and it's, it's even heavier. It's um, it's, I, I'd, I'd encourage everyone to at least uh, go, go and hold bullion yourself. Even if you're a full Bitcoin maxi, just go and hold it. It's a really kind you're of. You're going to make people mad, Luke. You can't say yeah. this kind of thing. You know, you got, you got the maxi crowd and they're like, how dare you even talk to this, this, this Peter Schiff wannabe. What are you doing talking to this guy? Peter Schiff wannabe. I don't know about that. We'll get into him later because you've actually been taking him down really nicely lately. But I wanted to first kind of ask you about the different communities. You touched on it there um, and you recommended people to really focus on one niche and get really good at it. And that's what's really interesting about the Bitcoin community. There's so many different people with, that come into the space with lots of different kind of specializations. Some people come to Bitcoin because of the macroeconomics. Some people come to Bitcoin because of the technical aspect, uh, the whole computer science background. But the Bitcoiners and the Goldbug communities, they have so much in common. They agree that the Fed's a scam. They agree that Fiat's a scam. And they agree that sound money's the problem. But why do you think that they're so kind of heated in this battle? And what do you think stopping a lot of the gold bugs uh, from becoming Bitcoiners? People like Peter Schiff that aren't teaching and they're just more so like wanting to bash heads. There's something that like I, it, it's staggering to me. And I've talked about this in, in Twitter spaces with you a lot and others a lot. It's like, there's this um, unit bias going on where actually a lot of gold bugs, which it's like a staggering amount. Um, excuse me. There's people, people that, in the in the um, Mac, Bitcoin maxi space, that'll be like how nobody could ever think that you can't own a fractional amount of Bitcoin. Who would ever think that? Well, a gold bug would think that. They would think, well, I'm not going to buy a fifty thousand dollar coin. What do you mean a digital coin for fifty thousand dollars? You guys are out of your minds. I'm not going to do something like that. That's crazy. But they don't even know that that Sats exists. They don't even know that it's divisible by hundred million units. They have no idea about that because nobody's teaching them that. Because Peter Schiff is just saying Bitcoin bad. So there's nobody teaching the, that's the one thing I noticed that there's this big unit bias. And that's why a lot of them, a lot of gold bugs, ironically are invested in crypto, like a lot of them. Uh, so there that's like in the forums and all, because I'm, I'm a social media guy. So what's made me stand out from the people that taught me the business was the fact that I got interested in like Instagram, Facebook, all the different social medias going on different forums and finding rare collectibles through the internet. And everybody else was focused more on like person to person trade shows and stuff like that. Um, and I went, this is stupid. Why would I fly all the way to this place to do this? I can just do this from home. Like, this is dumb. I could just be so much more efficient right now. I felt the same way about college. It's like, why would I drive 30 minutes to learn information at 30 minute intervals when I could just sit on home and learn this from my computer at a way faster pace. But anyway, it's, uh, that whole, that whole situation, uh, was what got me into 
into the social media age today. But when I'm when I'm looking at what's going on in the gold bug community, I guess that's sorry, I didn't mean go on a little tangent right there, but there nobody's teaching the real information to them. And they actually really believe that you have to buy a full Bitcoin. And ironically enough, although they're all getting into crypto now, which everybody thinks are only gold bugs, but a lot of them are buying Ethereum. A lot of them are buying Cardano. A lot of them are getting into even Dogecoin. I've seen this in the forms where full-blown silver forms, gold forms, they are buying Ethereum and talking about Ethereum. And it's like, they have no idea. They only bought it because they have that unit bias and they think, oh, well, it's, I can afford three Ethereum with my 10,000. It's more, it's better. I can get a whole three, whereas I can't even get a Bitcoin yet. And it's like, you, can't, you don't even know. They have no idea. And so like, when I started making videos, I noticed that there was people that were like starting to message me and saying like, hey, can you like help me with this? Like, cause I actually trust you. And I know that you know about metals and I can actually trust that you're not just only a digital currency individual or digital. See, I even say it accidentally sometimes currency, but I see it as an asset. Um, and so I think that once you, once you teach them that this is a digital asset, and you can actually declare your sovereignty and have it in your own cold storage. And then once you do that, I think that's what flips the switch in a gold bug's mind where they go, wait, 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 wait. I don't have to have a fancy safe. I don't have to like protect this thing. I don't have to like audit it and, and test it. Every individual item, make sure I get it from a reputable deal or anything. I just can verify it myself with my own node in my own cold storage. Whoa. Like that, that gear is what shift my mind from a gold bug because I came from that community. Now I'm a little bit more open-minded, but um, I just don't see valid and like reasonable explanations geared toward this audience. And it bums me out that people like Peter Schiff don't take the approach of it's foolish to go all in and equally foolish to have none. That approach with a gold bug makes a ton of sense. And you can really start changing the community. If everybody puts just 5% on their balance sheet, it really makes a huge impact here to the point where Bitcoin could easily get to a million a coin if everybody just starts putting, you know, one to five percent as an insurance play, as a, as a Chamath would have said. Uh, Chamath, I think it's Chamath Pahapatiya yeah. said, you know, this is a schmuck insurance policy, you know, and he, and he was right. He said that back when it was like ten thousand or something, you know. And so that's I was watching Cham. Uh, I always pronounce his name wrong, Chamath uh, Chamath. But a uh, genius guy, super smart guy, but I watched him do a CNBC interview. And I think that's what kind of pushed me over the edge to buy my first full coin. And I was sitting there, I'm like, you know what? It is a good schmuck insurance play. This guy makes sense, you know? And so ironically enough, that persuaded me, that type of argument. But we don't see that. We just see this like, oh, you have gold? You're stupid. What a, what a moron. <laughs> you know? And it's like, wait, what? Like, why don't you sit down? Why don't they like sit down and teach these individuals and say, hey, this is, this is what's interesting about Bitcoin. We could be wrong. You could be wrong about gold. We could be wrong about Bitcoin. It's like we, there's both that going on here. But the no, the underlying thing is what you said uh, so eloquently, Luke, and I appreciate that you bring that up, is they have the same mindset. These are your friends. These are your allies. Like they have the, the if you were, if you wanted somebody to be part of your, uh, even if you wanted to call like Bitcoin a political party in a way where it's like a libertarian minded party. These are your these are your friends. What are you going to go after the the Democrats and bring them towards you? You know, like it's like, well, I would much rather have gold bugs on my team. They have gold. They have guns. They have like the libertarian mindset. They want freedom. It's like these are your friends. Last time I checked, you know, Bitcoin maximalists. You should probably like them in your space, you know, uh, but they don't. It's like this huge like divide, and it's mainly because of Peter Schiff. And granted, it's Peter Schiff attacking you guys all the time. So he's constantly attacking you, saying things that have no basis to them. Now, there's real attack vectors that are possible, but he doesn't bring them up. 
but he's only bringing up like the most ignorant points that make no sense. So it just makes people really aggravated because he just really doesn't get it or he's just trying to aggravate you all, you know? And so I, like if I was going to bring up the best attack vector, because I can bring up a ton of attack vectors for gold, but the best attack vector right now for Bitcoin is if they allowed you to buy the Bitcoin, but they don't allow you to take it off the exchanges mm. and put it into your cold storage. So that's why I tell people like in this interview, like if there's people that watch the video and there will be a lot of people watching this video, hopefully. And I, I believe in your success, Luke, and I'm happy to be here. I appreciate you having me here, bro. Um, get your Bitcoin into cold storage as fast as possible. Don't let people overcomplicate it. Some security is better than no security. Um, so, I mean, if you have a, a regular, I mean, I, I, ha I hate to say like regular, but if you have a cold storage with the passphrase, you're in a pretty good spot. And so I, I don't like it when people overcomplicate that. I'd love to get your um, your take on that, Luke. But it's like, I, I just think that that's the number one attack vector. Like if, P, if I was Peter Schiff and I'm going, okay, how can I reason with a, a maximalist and say, what's the, the worst possible scenario is if they say tomorrow, Gary Gunzer goes out or whoever goes out and says, you cannot hold it in cold storage anymore. All Bitcoin needs to be brought back to the exchanges or you can't even get it off the exchanges anymore. Like, in, and it goes into that space. Now, I think it's too far down the line to, to stop it, but that could really damage the, the community if they, if they stop the ability to have self-custody because then it's stuck in the system. Then the Brian Armstrongs of the world have your Bitcoin, and that's where the problem would be. I wouldn't actually be surprised if they did try that. I think in, uh, I was looking at some headlines recently uh, from the European Union. I think they're actually trying to ban privately held wallets um, I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if they try to kind of bifurcate the network and they try to they try to lock all the coins that are stuck on exchanges there and they try to ban or they make the Bitcoin held in um, uh, private wallets kind of black market Bitcoin. Certainly wouldn't surprise me, but I think the fact that there's so many Bitcoins already mined and already in self-held uh, private wallets, I think we would be okay. I think there's only one or two million coins on exchanges. And I think they might, if they try to uh, try to uh, separate the network, I think there would be other conditions on the Bitcoin that are stuck on the exchanges, the regulated green Bitcoin, you would get all these sorts of strings attached to it. And I think you would actually probably get a premium on the Bitcoin held in self-custody. I think every country that's tried to ban Bitcoin, whether that be China, whether that be Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, every single time a country's banned Bitcoin, adoption rates actually surge and they increase. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a massive premium on the black market. But you mentioned another really important point in there, the importance of self-custody. And when you first kind of send your first couple of transactions to your own private wallet, it is an epiphany. You're like, holy shit, I can take custody of this thing? And there's no custodian in the middle. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And you talk about a lot on these Twitter spaces, the importance of self-custody. Um, so maybe expand a little bit on that and why it's so much easier to self-custody Bitcoin than it is gold. That's what hit me the, 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 the most. Because when I was first starting in collectibles, it was like, you know, I had like at the beginning, I had a couple, I was like negative money actually. But um, so there's a lot of weeks I was like negative 10 grand. But uh, when I finally got a little bit of positive money, I started thinking about security protocols. And this is why I think it's so important to get skin in the game. Because for example, with me, I had like eight grand sitting in my cash app and Bitcoin at the time was like seven, eight grand. And I was thinking to myself, I had watched those, those Chamath interviews and stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Ah, screw it. I'll get a Bitcoin. Why not? 
you know, and I bought a Bitcoin. And so at first, I mean, that's still a large amount of money, seven, eight grand is a good amount of money. But when it went to like 60 grand right after that, and it started skyrocketing, you know, it went from that run all the way up. And then I thought to myself, oh, whoa, I got something to protect now. Like, how do I protect? I can't just like leave it here. And I don't know if I trust Cash App. I put a password and this little thing on. I don't, that's a lot of money to trust with Cash App. I'm not cool with that. So because I got that skin in the game, now I have something I need to protect. It's like, it's like somebody buys a car. Now they have something to wash. Someone buys a dog. Now they have something to feed. You know, it's like you get that skin in the game. And then all of a sudden you want to learn more and more. And eventually you come down that, that rabbit hole. And now I'm at building a node. That's where I'm at currently. And like learning about the node. So like the, the whole process about it is um, it, it's so cool to think that my company can hold Bitcoin in its, and verify it with its own node and not have to rely on any service or anything. Cause most of my competitors, like even Peter Schiff, uh, they will accept Bitcoin and then dump it right away. And I'm like, what a, what a fool's errand that is. You just got Bitcoin with no fees attached to it at a, and you got a profit too. So if you sold an item, you got a profit on the item. So you got Bitcoin like with a negative premium attached to it directly into your own cold storage verified with your own note. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And so that's where my mind is set with my business and collectibles. I'm thinking to myself, I'd like to hold Bitcoin on the balance sheet. Um, So that's my plan is I'd like to have maybe 10 to 20% of the company's um, holdings in Bitcoin on the balance sheet. Uh, Myself, my personal holdings outside of my LLC is over 50% in Bitcoin now. Now, I never expected it to be that much. Uh, And it's accumulating more because I just dumped another large position into MicroStrategy uh, today and yesterday. So it, it's, it's crazy how much I've accumulated from that initial impulse buy. And so that little bit of skin in the game pushed me that far down the rabbit hole. So it's really important for me to say, like, I'm only a year and a half into this, you know? So I'm not like, Luke, you've been in this a lot longer than I have. So it's for me to be able to talk with, with individuals like you in Twitter spaces and all these different spots. It's like, it's like I've been getting people on YouTube messaging me like, what's wrong with you? Why are you spending so much time in these Twitter spaces? Dude, you have a YouTube channel with 25,000 people on it. Like, what are you doing? You should be, you should be all in on the YouTube channel. But my style is like, I want to learn. Like, I I don't feel comfortable sometimes. Like if I'm just, I see on YouTube, there's a problem with people just wanting to get content out all the time. And I'm guilty of it at times where you don't like think it through and you don't make sure that you actually know what you're talking about. And so for me, if I'm getting into Bitcoin as deep as I've gotten into it, I want to talk with guys like you, Luke. I want to talk with guys like Armin, you know, guys like Dennis. I want to hear all of your points of view. And what I've noticed is the like you, the people that I want to attract near me tend to magnet towards me. It's like the toxic ones I think are really bad for the community. Ironically enough, I think toxic maximalists actually hurt the Bitcoin community because those people like Paul Tudor Jones and Ray Dalio and stuff that, that often they bash on, they really are the ones that move the needle of Bitcoin. It's ironically enough. It's the people with like 0.1 Bitcoin, you know, that are bashing on somebody that just bought a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. And it's like, dude, like guys, you're you're not going to move the needle. Like you're not going to affect the, like, uh, like if, I mean, it's hard for me to say that because if every single citizen bought 0.1 Bitcoin, like it would definitely move the needle. So it's, it's hard. I guess there's two ways to look at it, but if it wants to get rapidly adopted and you want to like wheel in that Trojan horse, so to speak, and put that gift horse in front of the, the gates of Troy or whatever, yeah, you're going to need people like Ray Dalio jumping in. You're going to need those types of institutional investors, people like Microsoft, like Michael Saylor is a total maximalist, obviously, but he, people still bash on him. 
I've noticed, I've seen maximalists literally bashing on Michael Saylor. I'm like, do you know how much this guy has done for you? Oh my God. Like, it's just, it's sickening to see people bash on, on him. And it's like, just start welcoming people, start teaching people. And, and if they learn about it, like I had no idea about self-custody. I didn't know what a, a Beck 32 account was versus a legacy account. I didn't know Segway. I didn't know that stuff. This is all a node. I had no idea what a node was. I didn't even know what Linux was. And I'm like, I'm like, now the node has taught me like a little bit about Linux and how to patch my like portals into my own server or whatever. Cause the, the first thing was get the node. Right. And, um, when I got the node, I'm like, wait a minute, what about the, the thing I'm plugging the node into? If this is like verifying money, like I got to make sure this thing has a VPN it's attached into. Okay. Now I get need to get a VPN on the actual router itself, not just on the Wi-Fi network. I want a VPN on the router. And then I want a separate router with a separate VPN on that router. So two separate routers connected to the main modem that all have, and then the main modem, I want to patch every single portal into the main modem. Like I'm thinking about all these things that I would have never thought about. Like I wasn't a game theory guy like that when it came to even my internet servers and stuff. And so now I'm like, okay, now I want to develop my own server for mineral exchange. Like I want a badass server in my warehouse that nobody can get into. And it's like, is there going to be a hacker trying to get to me? Probably not, but I'm going to be prepared for it because Bitcoin makes me think of everything. Don't trust verify. And so like, that was the next thing with my node. And so like I, it delayed me setting up the node because I wanted to make sure that my internet was secure prior to plugging in the node because I'm paranoid about that stuff now. I think about every possible scenario and it's like the guys in Twitter spaces and whatnot teaching me, you know, like, oh, you got to watch out for this. You got to watch out for that. But it really does, like Bitcoin makes you um, a better human. It makes you a better, more intelligent human because you start thinking with the approach of like Murphy's Law towards everything. I think I already was like that with like precious metals and how I protected that. But um, it definitely has has improved who I am based on now I am like, I didn't know what a Raspberry Pi was before Bitcoin. I had no idea. So it's like, these are things that I had no idea about. Um, even if, like the VPN on the router, that's an extension of me wanting to protect something. I didn't even think of that. And so it's, it's just exciting to see that. But you brought up one point, I didn't want to lose my train of thought, um, that holding Bitcoin in layer one will likely get a premium. And I think you're on point. I think you're on point. I have brought this up about how I can relate this to precious metals. So for example, dealers love when metals crash. Uh, it's something that most people don't know. So a dealer that's sitting on a lot of, of fiat, um, I call it hot potato money. If you have a lot of hot potato money, uh, then you basically, you if metals crash, so say metals goes down to 12, there's always a huge premium that it, that, that, jumps because of the crash. I'm sure if you were in precious metals before you noticed this, it's like a lot of people get very bummed out when they want to be in physical precious metals because say silver at the beginning of the pandemic crashed to 12 and you're like, Oh, I'm going to take this great opportunity. Silver can't be 12. It has to be at least, I mean, it can't even mine it for that cheap. It's there's giving it away. But at 12, the premium was like 15, 16 for a hundred ounce bar. So a hundred ounce bar, you might think it's 1200. And if you buy SLV, which would be the equivalent of holding Bitcoin on an exchange. So if you buy an ETF of silver, you don't actually have the physical bar of silver, right? But if you have, if you bought a hundred ounce bar of silver, you would find out that it wasn't 1200 when it was $12 an ounce for a hundred ounce bar of silver. It was actually 1600. It was $16 an ounce because you had a $4 premium attached because the premium jumps when the market corrects for the real thing. So there's something to be said about that. If there was a correction on the paper markets in Bitcoin, 
I would argue that layer one Bitcoin would have a big premium on it because the people that are holding layer one Bitcoin don't want to give it to the exchanges. So then you'd have a competition for solvency within the exchanges. You'd have everybody wanting to take advantage. It's the same thing as precious metals. It really is. So I'm, I'm really happy you brought that up because I really do see that happening in the future. Because if you look at the on-chain data, like uh, Daniel Joe is, is just He's super humble. He won't say it, but I think he's the best on-chain guy around right now. He's, he's, he takes so much time and effort into the stuff he does. So I have to shout out my buddy, Daniel Joe. And it, it shows because he had like 2,000. When I first met him, he had like 2,000 followers on Twitter. And now he's like, boom, 8,000 in like a few weeks. Uh, and it shows because it's like people notice he puts a lot of time into his data. And it's like the more he looks into it, the more he realizes that people are just holding their Bitcoin in, in cold storage. Like they're not, these big whales are accumulating and they're not giving it back to the exchanges. And so if you see more and more of that, I, I see a future where exchanges are competing for solvency in Bitcoin, where they don't have enough Bitcoin on their balance sheet to compensate for the demand of Bitcoin. So if you saw Bitcoin, say Bitcoin plummeted, like silver plummeted. So silver plummeted at the beginning of the pandemic from like 20, no, it was like 19 an ounce and it plummeted down to 12. When it hit 12, we saw a flood of buyers. You would think the opposite, but that was the time people were just nonstop phone ringing. I couldn't sleep, just constantly making sales 24-7. At the time, dealers started competing to have solvency in precious metals. Dealers were competing with one another. So a dealer that would pay $13 an ounce and sell for $14, $15 an ounce was now saying 14 to sell at 16 even though it was 12 so a dealer would normally want to pay like 50 cents over spot or a dollar over spot, let's say, right? But now a dealer's willing, and they're operating on a thin margin, but now the dealers, the margins are all out of whack. Now they're willing, okay, well, you know what? I got a buyer at 16, you know, how much do you have? Oh, okay, I'll pay you 15 an ounce. That's unheard of for a dealer to play plus three, right? But they were just so they could make that dollar spread on their, on their bullion. So on a hundred ounce bar, they might be making a hundred bucks per hundred ounce bar, right? So their, their spread might've been, they used to make 200 bucks on that, but they're willing to make less just to get the solvency. And so they're, they're paying for the real bar. They're paying that big premium. I think it really will happen. And maybe a lot of people don't have the same perspective because I'm, I'm in the, the wholesale precious metals game, but anybody who's in precious metals that watches this, they'll know what I'm talking about when it comes to the premiums for the real thing. So it, it's, it's something to think about, uh, having your Bitcoin in layer one, actually having a large premium attached to it, to the tune of, I mean, the premium in metals was like to the tune of like 10% premium, sometimes 5% premiums, the dealer's willing to pay more. That might happen in the same way in Bitcoin, where you see Bitcoin at 48K, but none of the exchanges have Bitcoin to provide to you. So if they don't have the Bitcoin to provide, it might be 52,000 of Bitcoin if you wanted it. And, and it's like, oh, you want my Bitcoin from layer one? Oh, that's 55,000. I know it's 48K, but I need 55. I'm not willing to be. The exchange is lying. That's paper markets. They, the same thing could happen. I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I think it definitely will happen. I, I actually remember the March crash of 2020 vividly because at the time I was still buying bullion. I wasn't a full-blown 100% Bitcoin maximalist by then. I was still buying gold and silver. And I remember those premiums. They were like an ounce of silver in US dollars. I think it crashed to 11 or $12. And like you said, the pre you, you couldn't get physical unless it was 15 or $16 an ounce. So I definitely remember those premiums. And I think your idea i'm glad you brought it up i heard you um talk about this scenario in a space yesterday i was going to ask you about it but i, I actually didn't give me a good answer jeff booth didn't give me a good answer yeah. i was surprised <laughs> on that i'm like i'm like that's a very I, I gave him like a hand like a, i was like 
here you go, batter up, you know, and I just put like, I'm like, well, that you guys don't know the precious metals markets, which is interesting. I mean, uh, there, there's a lot of like, uh, I think he's a genius guy, super, super smart guy, but the, like, we, we got to be careful to declare like a, a profit out of anybody, you know, yeah. uh, just because you wrote a book or whatever it is. I, I, I see nobody like as, as a profit in a way, it's nice to talk to individuals that have gotten a lot of press or something like that. But, um, always think for yourself, always question everything for yourself. You know, that's something that a lot of people don't do. They always like, I've noticed the people that constantly are only reaching out, but they never think inward. They're, they're never like uh, confident. They never have their ability to, to actually criticize somebody like that and be like, wait, 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 you don't know. You don't know about this. Do you, I could inform you about this actually. Okay. That, well, that's interesting. It's yeah. the beautiful thing about the Bitcoin space. Everybody specializes in, in different things. And I suppose that's the reason I want to do this podcast, help uh, educate a wider audience of people and get people like yourself in um, on the podcast who are precious metals experts, get people like Dennis Porter on who I interviewed the other day. He's kind of an expert in the political kind of ground. And I think Daniel, you mentioned Daniel Joe. I'm going to get him on uh, Mondays. That's two days from now. And we're going to be looking at the kind of on-chain metrics and the bigger picture kind of focus a little bit more on price. Um, so, yeah, that's the, the beautiful thing about the community. There's so many different people that specialize in so many different um, areas. And that's the really beautiful thing about it. Um, and earlier, you, I wanted to just touch on something you mentioned earlier about getting skin in the game um, and the rabbit hole it sends you down. Because uh, the first couple of years... I was in Bitcoin, only came from Bitcoin from a kind of economic standpoint. Like I thought, okay, this thing could be the solution to the financial system, could be digital gold. I didn't quite think it could be much more than that in 2018. And then you start looking into it a little bit more. And it was actually Armin who sent me down the privacy rabbit hole. You mentioned Armin the Parman earlier. You got um, the best to teach you from the beginning. It makes sense. It yeah, makes sense. <laughs> I was lucky enough to get the best uh, young Armin. Um, yeah, no, it's amazing. And once you do get skin in the game, it sends you down that rabbit hole. Like you were talking about your your router and oh shit, I've got to I've got to verify my my own my own coins, my own addresses, and I just think it's a really beautiful thing that you can actually audit the supply of Bitcoin. This is the first asset in human history that we can spin a node and say, hey, look, there's 21 million coins. There's no more. Sadly, I wish we could do that with gold, but I think that's probably why. Bitcoin is the superior money because sadly we can't audit the supply of gold. And I just think that's a beautiful thing that you can run a node. And I just wanted to mention, mention that as you touched on it earlier, I recommend everyone go run a node, get some cold storage um, and jump on these Twitter spaces. Like you mentioned earlier, people ask you, why do you spend so much time on the Twitter spaces? Well, we learn a bunch from them. I, I love I love engaging with guys like yourself and Dennis and Daniel and so many other great minds in the Bitcoin space. I highly encourage everyone to go check out those Twitter spaces. Uh, they're definitely amazing. Um, but something else you mentioned in a space the other day, you was talking about how the gold miners dump their gold. They, when they get their gold, they actually dump it. They don't hold it on their balance sheets. Um, and you, on, in a recent video you've done talking about micro strategy, you were also talking about uh, the miners, Hut8 and Marathon and how they actually stack their Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And I, I just think that's such a really important uh, point. And I wanted you to expand a little bit um, on how those Bitcoin miners are just stacking their Bitcoin and what that potentially means. I, I think it's like people are talking about it, but they're they're not giving it the... 
I mean, I th- I think people notice how big of a deal it is, but like I think it's a really big deal. Like I think I like to emphasize on that point because it's just I mean, if the, if they value, if they stay to themselves, it's like it goes back to the premium argument. You know, if people don't want to let go of their Bitcoin in layer one, that means it's it's valuable in layer one, and people want to have it in layer one. So. Um, only recently after I've got enough in layer one where I feel pretty confident did I start thinking, wow, MicroStrategy is kind of an arbitrage play right now. People are really overlooking this. Um, it, like I think MicroStrategy, I think HUD-8 is a little overvalued uh, at the time. I think it'll, it, it could have a bit of a pullback, but I think MicroStrategy is extremely undervalued. Um, that's just my personal take on it. I mean, HUD-8 is trading at like an 8x multiple of their Bitcoin on the balance. Uh, so if you have, say they had one Bitcoin on balance, their valuation is at eight Bitcoin based on them being a miner, but, uh, say MicroStrategy only had just to simplify it, uh, MicroStrategy had one Bitcoin, they're trading at like a 1.1 multiple. Like they're about like that's, they have over 5 billion in Bitcoin and they're trading at like a, like a 6 billion valuation right now, which is like, uh, if they bought out a miner, they could be competing with HUD eight and marathon like that. Like they literally could just give up a tenth of like a tenth of their Bitcoin position or, or you know, a 20%, 25% of their Bitcoin position, leverage it, and then acquire a miner. And what happens then to the whole premise of MicroStrategy? I mean, the valuation would triple, quadruple, you know, would it deserve the same seven, eight X multiple as these as Marathon and HUD eight? Probably people forget that MicroStrategy is a software company. It's like, that's their specialty is being a software company and, and a developer company and, and involved in cloud and all of that. And like, so nodes and all that stuff. It's like, they know how to do all of that. They're very good at it. Uh, so it's like, they're very much discounting to the fact that this isn't a glorified ETF. You know, people are treating it like a glorified Bitcoin ETF, but they're, they're not giving it the premium it deserves. And I mean, you have Michael Saylor at the helm guys, pretty sharp, you know, whether you like him or hate him, you got to admit the guy's pretty, pretty sharp. So you have him running the show. But anyway, the um, the one thing I wanted to get back on that you brought up was the auditing. Um, the auditing of gold is so tedious on a large scale. Um, so if I want the perfect unit of measure, nobody can deny. And I'm like, the one thing I, I always want to do is even if it's not something that benefits me to say it, um, and I guess I could argue either way because I have a lot of Bitcoin now, but um, obviously I could sell somebody gold, right? I like to specialize more in utility precious metals like silver, platinum, palladium, etc. But if I'm talking about gold, everybody has to be honest that they, we don't know that there's 12 trillion out there. Like any person in the gold business, if you asked them like how much gold to the exact gram is in existence, they would have no idea. Like they couldn't even roughly guess. They would have to be like, oh, there's like 12 trillion worth, you know, divide it up. You know, it's like, no, there could be 20 trillion of gold out there. We don't know how much the Saudis have in gold. They've been kicking gold forever. You know, we don't know how much, uh, how much the queen has in gold. We have no idea. They've been, they've been hiding stuff forever. If you just look up Google, Google queen gold vault, you'll see the queen of England in this, like this vault of massive amounts of gold. And you're like, okay, this is probably only one of her vaults. Like how many of these vaults does she have of gold? Let's, let's be honest with this here. But the truth is there is no way to audit it in a large scale. There is no auditor. You can't develop a, a, an auditor to individually scan each individual bar with an XRF machine and know exactly that every bar's gold content is X amount. So there's this amount of gold exactly in this vault and this amount in this exact vault and that vault. It's like, the, it's impossible to audit gold. So as a unit of measure, it's outdated. 
Could gold, I think gold will still be a horse in the race, as in if Bitcoin jumps to 100K, let's say gold might go to 3,000, gold might go to 2,500 and be a, like a slower race, a slower horse in the race lagging along it. So it might make sense as a very like um, just a, a small position or something like that. But personally, I'm much more bullish on Bitcoin because it's it's a much, I mean, it's not just a much better unit of account. It is a unit of account. Like it actually is a unit of account, whereas gold isn't. We have no idea. Nobody can tell us how much gold the Chinese have. Nobody can tell us how much gold we even have in Fort Knox. We don't even, that data isn't even really public for us. They say a certain figure-ish, but nobody knows exactly what's going on. How much gold did they steal from the citizens in 1933? I don't know. They took a lot. Roosevelt made everybody turn in their gold, made it illegal. And then Nixon killed all the hostages, as Michael Saylor put it, you know, in 1971. So it's like they basically, like, all those gold notes that they would have had to redeem, how much did they steal? Nobody knows. But we can tell each other, especially if we have our own node, exactly how much Bitcoin is out there, exactly how much is moving. And that's why on-chain even exists, because it's a new age of analysis where you can actually see how much Bitcoin is each in, in each individual wallet. Um, I think that there's a lot of um, variables there where they could divide it into multiple wallets. Like if I wanted to buy like $100 billion in Bitcoin or something, if I was some huge sovereign fund and I was moving crazy amounts of money around i would divvy it up into a like a million separate wallets and and hide it you know i wouldn't just put oh here's my hundred billion in this one wallet here like i would not do that i think that's happening at scale where they're divided um into multiple small wallets so maybe there's not and maybe it says like we're 130 million users but maybe we're at like 75 million right now but there's a lot of separate wallets but that's still a huge figure that's going to continue to grow and the network effect is going to is unstoppable but that's something to consider as well but in regards to the unit of account, um, I would just or I would say gold is not a unit of account and Bitcoin is a unit of account. Like it's not even a comparison. Um, so that's that's a huge thing for me. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna consider something a reserve asset of the world, and I want to have my country's money somewhere and have proof of funds and show other countries this is how much we have, this is what we're worth, you know, and, and have that unit of account. Gold stands no chance to Bitcoin. Like it's just it's 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 blatantly obvious that it, this is a better way to track how much money you have. It's, couldn't it's agree true. more. I really couldn't agree more. Uh, you mentioned a really important point there. You, sovereign nations could be stacking Bitcoin right now, and unlike when MicroStrategy and Grayscale buy Bitcoin, they have to publicly declare it, and then on chain. You can see that MicroStrategy's got 100,000 coins. You can see that there's a large whale buying Bitcoin when MicroStrategy or Grayscale buys. But these sovereign nations, these smaller countries, like you said, they can buy it really strategically. They can buy in all of these separate little addresses and they never have to declare the one wallet that they own. They, they could own 50 to 100,000 Bitcoins and it's all just uh, kind of subdivided in all of these really small addresses. And I think, well, how, that, how would you do it? How that's would you how, do it? Yeah. Like, that's the answer. Like, like Luke, like I'm genuinely asking, like <laughs> if you, if I said, Luke, you're in charge of the country's funds or you're in charge of this sovereign wealth fund, Luke, you're in charge of $10 billion. How, how do you go and buy that? If you're a country that doesn't really want the other countries to know about it just yet, wants to accumulate a position kind of silently, like how, how do you, what do you do? You do something like that, right? Exactly. And when you look at the on-chain metrics, this is why I want to get Daniel on in a couple of days. When you look at the on-chain metrics, since that crash from 65 to 30K, 
um, the, the short-term whale sold off. But then since then, since we bottomed out at 30 and ran up to 50, what you've seen is just massive on-chain accumulation. These smaller holders are just buying up Bitcoin. And it's generally the smaller guys that are buying up Bitcoin. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if sovereign nations are doing that right now. Because after El Salvador came out, look at the flood of countries that also come out putting out Bitcoin related laws, even though some of them had that dirty word crypto in the, in the law, but you saw uh, Cuba, you saw um, Panama, you saw Ukraine. And I saw a recent document. Um, I think it was the d- disclosings of the Ukraine, uh, the top 10 members of parliament or something. And it showed their Bitcoin holdings. They, they're stacking Bitcoin. Like some of the largest the, the, the parliamentary members in Ukraine, I'll have to find the document and, and tag you in it. It's really interesting. Some of them hold thousands and thousands of Bitcoin. And I just think that's really, really, really interesting. Um, I think it's something that not a lot of people are focusing on. A lot of these sovereign nations probably are stacking Bitcoin. Um, and as we look at the on-chain, more and more Bitcoin continues to become illiquid. So I think that's really, really interesting. Um, maybe one more thing I wanted to ask you before we round up. I think we've been going for a little while now, Rob. So I want to be respectful of your time, but you've built. Uh, I, a- got, I got plenty of time. I, I I was up till I was up till like two in the morning, or no, way later than that on Twitter Spaces last night. I, yeah. I I I got to stop with that. You know, it's a problem. But uh, I it's it's hard. The one thing is like when I do the interviews and stuff, I'm always like I got a monitor here, a monitor there, and I'm like always like which one to look at. I don't know, or should I look at the camera? I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> if my eyeballs are moving all over the place. It's because a I'm ADD, but also there's a bunch of monitors everywhere. So I don't know exactly until if I'm looking at you or if I'm looking at this one, I'm looking at the coin prices right now. My, my brain's scattered. I'm just, I'm a helpless squirrel. At, like, I'm with you, brother. And metals and, and uh, Bitcoin, you know. <laughs> <laughs> a squirrel. I've never heard that before. No, I'm, oh, I'm I say in that the... in the industry. You know, it's like we always joke around at like trade shows and stuff where like in between dealers, like, ah, you squirrel, like just get rid of your inventory. Stop squirreling at all. And it's a, it's, it's a problem. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I'm the same. My eyes are always everywhere. I'm, I I love your setup though, brother. I want to definitely upgrade mine eventually. And uh, I, I dig it. I, I like the name, fix the money, fix the world. It's that's, a, it says it all right in the name. And I, I like that a lot. Um, I think, I so think, it's, it's yeah, good, it's a good title. Such a catchy title. I think Marty Bent come up with it years ago. Uh, the podcaster who hosts the show tales from the crypt uh, everybody should definitely go and check that one out too but um you we touched on the miners earlier and how they're not selling bitcoin I, one thing i did want to bounce off you as well was i i think that was a big uh, reason that bitcoin's been going through these bear markets so bitcoin goes through these four-year cycles for anyone who's new and tuning into this uh podcast here every four years bitcoin has a bull run after the halving And then generally what causes the 85% crashes that we see in Bitcoin is a lot of these larger whales like the miners sell off their Bitcoin to take some profits and then so they can kind of expand their business operations in the next couple of years. But now that you're seeing these miners decide to hang on a minute, instead of selling my Bitcoin to raise capital, maybe I'll just get maybe I'll just get massive loans at 0% interest rates and I'll continue to stack my Bitcoin like Marathon and like Hut 8 have now declared that they will do. And I just think that's a really, really interesting thing moving forward, along with nation states stacking Bitcoin and alongside the narrative changing with Bitcoin. People aren't selling. What's the narrative, Rob? HODL. HODL your Bitcoin. Don't sell it. I, I think it'd be really, really interesting moving forward. What do you think about bear markets into the future? Like, Do you think 
we're going to see these big 85 to 90% crashes again? I, I think shorting Bitcoin, I mean, just to say like if I, if like somebody wanted to try to profit off of a timing of a bear market in Bitcoin, it's like, it's just jumping in front of a train or picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. It's like this is a fool's errand. Um, to put it into perspective, like there was probably people that were short Bitcoin at like a thousand, right? When Bitcoin was like a thousand a coin. Probably people like, oh, this is ridiculous. Why does it deserve, you know, to be worth, you know, billions of dollars like this at a thousand a coin? This doesn't make any sense. So there's one individual at that time that said, you know what? I'm just going to hold a little Bitcoin, throw it in a cold storage, like put it in a computer or whatever. That person puts the Bitcoin there, pays a thousand dollars, puts it there. And I'm, so that person's long Bitcoin. And then there's the same person that's like, I'm going to time this perfect. And I bet you it's going to go down to 500. And I'm going to time it perfect from here to here. The, the upside for the person betting on Bitcoin to go down is extremely limited. There's not, there's a cap on it. So if they bet 10 grand, their cap might be to make 18 grand or 15 grand. If they're completely at a home run, they're going to, they're going to get some type of gain like that. If they bought puts or whatever it might be, there's a limited upside. There's not an unlimited upside, but the person who bought that thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin and put it in cold storage today, they have almost $50,000. So they almost have a 50 X return by just sitting on it because their upside is unlimited. So on, when you're betting on something that is a speculative next reserve asset, like it's, it's a fool's errand to short something like that, because this isn't like it, it deserves as of today, it deserves a valuation the same as gold today. Uh, at minimum half the valuation of gold based on what it's doing and how many institutions are already involved in it. I would make that argument that it should be that the same, if not half minimum. Um, and it's like, okay, well, it's only at a valuation of like 900 billion right now. This thing could easily turn into five, 10 trillion overnight. Like this could happen. Like it could really happen fast with, I mean, look what happened. Like just Elon Musk saying, Hey, we bought 1.5 billion. Look what that did. People would, people might say like, Oh, it didn't really, no, it affected the market. It's what brought it to 65 K. It started the catalyst from like 33 range or whatever to 45. And then everybody started getting a FOMO situation all over a tweet from him because people underestimate the fact that this guy reaches out to over 50 million people with the tweet of his fingers. That's a huge network effect. It's not just the 1.5 billion they bought. Sure, that's marginal, but it's the network effect of how many people it reaches. So the El Salvador news, for example, they're only buying like a couple hundred Bitcoin. That's not a big deal. Um, oh, shoot. Someone's, someone's calling me, I think. Are you still there, Luke? Yeah, that's okay. We can cut it. Yeah, hang on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deny yeah, this go one and just cut this one part out. I'll yeah, that's okay. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. But um, we'll start it back up. What I, I was just talking, I, I should have put that on airplane mode, the camera here. But um, the so everything sounds good now. Yeah, yeah, I've got you. All right, this will be for your editing. We'll be like five, <laughs> four, cut it cut, boom. back into the zoom. Okay, boom. Um, what was that? What was the point? I, my brain, I, I totally lost my train of thought. We, now we were talking I, about. Um, we were talking about. Me too. I've lost my brain too, brother. No, no, I was, I, I, I why? Of course that happened right there at the end. Um, we're talking about stacking Bitcoin. People aren't selling Bitcoin. Uh, you were saying, I've lost it too, brother. <laughs> I got to stop staying up so late, Luke. You know, me, that's my me problem. Got to stop staying up. So like, I always keep forgetting stuff, <laughs> but uh 
Michael Michael Saylor and Elon Musk. We we were talking about yeah. so Elon. That's that's a, that's a good place to put it. So sorry, I'll do yeah. this for you. Do like the, the <laughs> all of that. So this will be for your editing stuff. I know the tricks for the editing. You got to do that so you remember. <laughs> uh, so so basically, people really underestimate how much of a network effect that an individual like Elon Musk tweeting has. So it's not about the 1.5 billion. It's, it's about how, reaching out to over 50 million people and then the retweets and all of that. If, the, if those 50 million people told just two people, you know, oh, did you hear Elon Musk bought Bitcoin on the balance sheet? You know, I went out there and made a bunch of videos about it. So then I reached out to like 10, 20, 30,000 more people, right? And then those videos get more views and more people talk about this. The network effect of that and how that information branches out is staggering to the point where pretty much everyone in the U.S. knows about El Salvador buying Bitcoin, for example, now, or accepting Bitcoin as legal tender over there. And that's a small country. And, and so El Salvador is, is only, you know, only got a couple hundred Bitcoin. You know, it's not, it's actually rather marginal, the amount of Bitcoin El Salvador has for the amount of news exposure. So what was more valuable, the news exposure or the amount of Bitcoin that they hold in their, their country's reserve? Probably the exposure, not probably, I mean, definitely the exposure that it dropped. Because now other countries are going to see that and go, well, actually, we want people to invest in our country. So wait, people can put up three Bitcoin and invest in your country and build a business there. I mean, I'm interested. I'm like, wow, I'll take a beach house in El Salvador and a permanent residency. That sounds pretty interesting. Three Bitcoin. I mean, it, at first I thought you had to like actually um, in, like invest and give it to them, but you don't. You can just buy real estate with it. You can buy like a, a business. You could buy a commercial plot of real estate and actually like build a business over there in El Salvador. So it's like, wait a minute, you guys are, could be the next Dubai because it's going to force people to start investing into your economy. So that three Bitcoin of a thousand people want a permanent residency and want to go to El Salvador. Now you're talking 3000 Bitcoin going into El Salvador, investing in the country. Now you're talking figures that make a little bit more sense. Now we multiply that out, say 10,000 people want to come to El Salvador. Now you're sitting in a situation where you have 30,000 Bitcoin coming into your ecosystem. You know, now say the 100,000 people, you know, like it could, I mean, that, that might be a big, a big, bit of a big figure because I mean, I think there's like three, 400,000 people in the US, but I mean, realistically that could bring some serious money into the, the infrastructure over there. And then those people that are putting up the three Bitcoin, how much money are they bringing on top of that to invest into, into their business there, whatever it might be on top of that, that's just to get their foot in the door. So it's like that could really snowball into building their ecosystem to be something like Dubai or something along those lines. Um, and other countries are going to get jealous of that. Look at all these people investing into El Salvador. Other small countries are going to want the same thing. So they're going to get like Colombia, Venezuela, all these different, especially Venezuela. Venezuela should have been on this before El Salvador. But uh, that, that's going to have a snowball effect. So long story short, it's like the, the network effects is is underestimated, I think, more so than the just the Bitcoin itself that they're accumulating, whether it's a company, whether it's a country, whether it's a sovereign fund, the, the information drop has a huge FOMO effect. And I think that that's what's due to happen in Bitcoin. I, I really do think it's just sitting there like, um, like I made a post on Twitter recently where I just like literally like this morning or yesterday, I don't know, because prob probably today, because, but I feel like it was yesterday, even though I was up to, it was because up at like four o'clock in the morning, who knows? But uh, <laughs> uh, it's, I was talking basically about that. It's like, well, people are going, I'm noticing there's even a lot of gold bugs telling me like, you know, Bitcoin's fallen. It's fallen from all time highs down to, you know, 48,000. And it's like, well, let's go back a year. A year ago, this was 10,000. 
So this is up roughly 5x, 500% in an annual year. Uh, if the annual chart's showing me a 500% return and we did the same type of, you know, goes, it goes up and then it pulls back from all-time highs, it does it again, but it does the same return that it had from 10,000 to 50,000, you're talking about a coin worth a quarter million dollars. Are people prepared for that? That one year from today, 365 days from you watching this video right now, are you prepared for Bitcoin to be a quarter million dollars within 365 days from now? I'm not, and I have a lot. I'm not at all. And I have, a, I mean, I'd be like, I'd be basically like, all right, well, we're moving to Nevada. Let's move mineral exchange to Nevada. We're out of here. That would be pretty much what would happen with me. Um, I, I would, I might even do that regardless, but, um, or Florida or something like that. Uh, but it's, it's just ridiculous for the idea that somebody would want to jump in front of uh, a Goliath like this. You know, it's like, it's this thing could just absolutely, it's just, it's just waiting to explode. If it had, it had the same market cap as gold, I'd be like, okay, the needle is going to be a little bit hard to move right now. It already had its jump up. It's already at 12 trillion. Okay. It's probably going to go higher than that. It's probably going to go to like 50 trillion in the long run, hundred trillion, maybe even more than that. But it's already this, it's going to get hard, harder and harder for it to double, triple, quadruple. But for it to go from a 1 trillion to a 5 trillion, very easy. Very easy. That's not very hard. So I think that people need to start wrapping their mind around the fact that this could very, very easily do the exact same thing that it did over the last 365 days over the next 365 days. And if last time I checked, that's really, that's damn good performance. I guess <laughs> ridiculous performance. So there might be these altcoins and stuff, but nobody can sleep well at night. Nobody can have the same conviction levels. There's something to be said about making, uh, even if you're making a, a 10% year over year, but you had a ton of conviction on the trade. The person who put a million dollars on something that they had conviction on is going to make a ton more money than the person who put 1,000 that they're scared about. So, excuse me. There's, so there's somebody like in Bitcoin that goes, you know what? I'm, I'm so, I have so much conviction with this trade. I'm going to put a million on it. If they make a minimum, say Bitcoin just barely goes up, and I highly doubt it's only going to go up 10%. I'm giving, I'm setting the bar like stupid low here. That person's going to make a hundred grand on that 10% on a million. But there's this a same person out there that's going to take a speculative play and go, I'm going to go into, uh, I don't know, Dogecoin, and it's Doge to the moon, right? They don't, they, there's no millionaire on this planet that is going to be like, oh, I'm going to sleep well at night. I'm going to throw a million on Dogecoin. Let's say, right on, no problem. It's still a big deal. They can't have the same conviction level. And so there's something to be said about having that kind of a conviction in a certain um, investment. And I think that Bitcoin is going to be that and it's going to more people are going to be able to buy it with larger quantities of money. You're going to see these big funds going into it and putting billions of dollars into it, just like Michael Saylor, just like Tesla did. Uh, there's going to be much, much more of that going on in the near future. And when that happens, it's just going to be there's going to be a grab to have Bitcoin in layer one. Uh, there's going to be a huge grab. And I'm actually starting to convince myself. I'm like, hmm, why am I putting so much money in MicroStrategy? Maybe I should be buying more Bitcoin putting in the layer one. Uh, but I just find MicroStrategy to be so undervalued right now. Yeah. Sorry, I've, I was up late last night, so I'm probably going off on tangents and stuff. <laughs> I, I, love, I love talking about this subject. It's one of my favorite things to obviously to talk about. Um, I just That's why we're that here, brother. That's why we're here. I, I, I go off on tangents <laughs> all day, every day on those spaces. When, you, when you're talking about Bitcoin and uh, how it's going to be the future of money, it's hard not to go off on tangents, brother. We're so fucking passionate about this thing. You just thing want to bring people in. You want to tell yeah. people about it. You want to let them know. And so I just, I'm just i just hyped that there's people in the community that don't look at me and go, oh, this guy likes shiny rocks. What a, you know, let's, let's <laughs> never talk to him sort of thing. I've noticed that there's actually 
a lot. It's like the, a mixture of the worst and the best. And it's, it, there's no middle. It's just the worst and the best. Like there's no middle ground on Twitter. It's just that's right. epic toxic. Great. <laughs> like there's no like, oh, I'm kind of toxic. Kind of like, kind of don't know. There's just, you're cool. I hate you. It's like one or the other. And it's just like mean people on Twitter, man. Like they're, they're, it's a, it's a brutal bunch out there. But something I do notice is that it's, it's the ultimate, ultimate sign of weakness. The ultimate sign of weakness to try to bring down somebody else with your time. Like, I, I don't even, I, sometimes I forget to shower. I don't even have the time. Like I'm rushing out the door. Like, please, I don't, please give me a coffee, something like bring it on the road. I got to go. I got, I got stuff to do today. But the thing to think that I would have the time of day to be like, oh, you know, this guy, let me make a meme about him or, or bash this one individual or whatever. And I see that all the time on Twitter. I'm like, yeah, well, what a loser. You know, like, how do you have this time on your hands? Like you obviously are, are have way too much time on your hands or you have nothing good going on in your life to try to bring other people down. But I see that on Twitter all the time. No, you hit the nail on the head. Some people definitely misguide their toxicity. I think it needs to be really directed on the right individuals. People like, uh, I don't know, shitcoin scammers or people promoting Ripple or fucking XRP. I think that's where the toxicity is a good thing. Comes in and shoots down the people advocating for larger block sizes. But I think 100% when it's misguided and it goes towards people who are trying to do good things for the community, um, I, I think that's probably when toxicity is definitely not a good thing. Um, but you touched on a couple of really interesting points there. You touched on zooming out. A lot of people come into the Bitcoin and they see the short-term volatility. Oh, it's crashed from 65K to 45K. But like you said, zoom out, ladies and gentlemen. It was $10,000 a year ago. And I think whenever I talk to new people and they're talking about price, I say, look, just you've got to at least think in one to two year timeframes with Bitcoin. If you look back two years ago, what was it? It was 3K in the bottom of the bear market. And what is it now? 45,000? And people Such are impatience. Like, so yeah. they're so impatient. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Wild. What? So that it, it's done that with the price action. It's up 20X. While all of this network effects is going on, like you mentioned, you've got the richest man in the world, Elon Musk, tweeting about Bitcoin to his 50 million followers, like he said earlier. That's significantly discounted. And I just think a lot of people are overlooking that. And then you've also got nation states stacking Bitcoin and the, the other countries are getting jealous. I think you said the other countries are going to start getting jealous of people moving to El Salvador and they, they are, they, they, they're getting jealous now. You're seeing Cuba, Ukraine, Panama, they're tripping over themselves to um, adopt Bitcoin. So I think that's really interesting. I'd never actually considered uh, the whole network effect in that kind of in that kind of thought. What's what's more important, El Salvador stacking three hundred Bitcoin, or the actual just move itself? The the move that a nation state has become the first sovereign nation to accept Bitcoin as legal tender. I think that's a really important point that you raised there. Um, I just wanted to really highlight that one. I mean, do they have McDonald's accepting Bitcoin? That's not yeah. like, it's, it's not like it's El Salvador owned McDonald's. I mean, like they, it's a, it's McDonald's. I mean, I, McDonald's, <laughs> I think they're, they might be a franchise McDonald's. I'm not sure, but either way, it's still the company McDonald's accepting Bitcoin and using like a digital receipt via the lightning network. And it's like, it's showing a model that can be used. And if they succeed at this and it's going to take the next year or so to like prove that it succeeds, maybe six months, uh, and there it's happening right now. It's like, and more, imagine these citizens, imagine like a bunch of citizens, they were like, they kept like a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And they just would have been selling, you know, some, some smoothie maker on the side of the road down there. And then Bitcoin goes to a million a coin. And they're like, wait, I have like 10 grand now or something, you know, whatever amount, like they, they might make a really good investment where 
they just didn't think they were going to do something like that. They could say somehow find a way to accumulate a full coin. And then all of a sudden they're a millionaire because they had the full coin on their balance sheet. This is, this is what happens when the money's deflationary, when the, when the asset is actually deflationary. Um, I would argue with Bitcoin that it is an asset. I would make sure that people know that this is an asset, but the, the, the difference with Bitcoin is it's an asset that's so good, an asset that is so pure that it can be a currency in addition to being an asset, which is what gold started as. It was an asset and it was such a good asset. It was such a great store of wealth that people turned it into coins and used it as a currency. Bitcoin does that so much better. And a lot of people just don't realize that it's divisible to 100 million units into Satoshis. And so it's it's almost as if like like one of the things that I see with that's critical with Bitcoin, especially from all coiners, they'll say, well, you guys were designed to be a currency. You say you're an asset now and you're just saying that now, but you were designed. Look at Satoshi's design. It was supposed to be a currency. Sure. But currency was originally in a way designed to be an asset at the same time. They were both, if you know the history of gold, it was gold coins as a currency because they wanted the asset to be so pure that it could be the currency as well. It just didn't become divisible enough. So they had to get pieces of paper because it wasn't divisible to the tune of getting to the pennies and all that stuff. So they couldn't just constantly use copper pennies and all these different metals to denominate different valuations. They had to go to a different way and then back it with an asset. This is an asset that is divisible to the tune of 100 million units. That's something that's unheard of. We, don't, we never had that with gold. So although it says on Satoshi's white paper that it's a currency, I would argue that it was designed to be both from the beginning. I would argue that that was it was the design of it to be a currency that is also an asset at the same time, everything that gold couldn't be. Um, and so that's just huge. Um, it, a lot of people get caught up on the big. nuance. A lot of people do get caught up on the nuance. Oh, is it cash? Oh, it's so volatile. It can't be a store of value. I think that's a really good point you raise that it can be everything. Okay. We've never seen a new form of money monetized by the free market before in human history. The last time we saw something similar was when gold was found thousands and thousands of years ago. And nobody knew how to price gold in the beginning. When the first couple of people started finding gold, they were like, oh, how do we price this thing? The price of gold probably would have been volatile when, when people first found it and discovered that it was the best store of value. There's probably people calling it a currency and saying, you can't use that that rock over there. It's, it's not a store of value. It's too volatile. And you, we're seeing the same thing with Bitcoin today. So I think that's a great point I wanted to highlight. People, people get caught up on the fact that, oh, no, Satoshi called it a peer-to-peer -peer digital cash, uh, a currency. It, why can't now you call it a store of value? It's like, no, Satoshi always intended it to have a hard cap of 21 million coins and be the next global reserve currency of the world. So if it um, was designed to only be a currency, it wouldn't have been denominated in Satoshi's. It would have been Satoshi's in the first place. Um, That's the, the difference. Like if, if it wasn't designed to have a store of value on top of it being a currency, it would not be 21 million units divisible by 100 million units. It would just be similar to Dogecoin with billions and billions of units out there. That's what I think is the difference. And, and, and um, it, it makes total sense. So uh, it's, and also we want it to be declared an asset by Gary Gensler and by the Fed. And, and when Jerome Powell said, oh, it's just digital gold. We're not worried about people that want to put their money in a digital gold. I'm like, perfect. Because yes. they're scared of a currency. They don't want you to say like, oh, we're no, we're trying to compete with the dollar right now. It's like, that's what you don't want to say. So Dogecoin got that completely wrong. It's like, oh yeah, we're going to be the people's currency. Oh, really? 
You think they're going to be cool with that, bro? You think you're going to be cool with your your pre like it's not I guess it's not pre mine, but it's like billions of units out there. It's ridiculous. But you have a situation like that. The Fed is going to look at that and go, wait, oh, they're trying to compete with us. Oh, no way. And that. And so they're, that, that's something where you can't have conviction in a trade if tomorrow they're going to declare you as a security and make make you completely just have to not allow trading of that on your exchange anymore. Look at Brian Armstrong. He's squirming right now. That human thumb, he's squirming. <laughs> He's, he's, he handle it like look at his profile picture right there brian armstrong sorry I, I don't like to i don't like to bash people like that but he he earned it he earned it uh I, but he it's just ridiculous he was a maximus like he was believing only bitcoin and there's proof of him only believing in bitcoin but he sold out to try to make money off of the ecosystems but that i guess that's something i would love to talk about is like the the altcoins and the um the jpegs you know because we we tend to trash on them and you know i'm guilty of it dennis is obviously very guilty of it i'm sure you're guilty of it we all bash on them uh but at the end of the day if i've noticed one thing is it I, i've said this before in and dennis's podcast i said it but it's like it's it really is all the rapid streams and rivers falls to the ocean that waits patiently underneath and the ocean only gets bigger because of these rivers so it's almost like I want to have the natural selection, the the financial competence uh, be proven. And then eventually more money will go into the ecosystem because I know a lot of people that got in Dogecoin, made some money on Dogecoin and then protect their profits by putting into Bitcoin. So there is something to be said there. And there's a lot of hustlers. Like there's a hustler in me that goes, oh, wow, they're making that much money off of a pet rock. Like, wow, uh, I sh I, maybe I should have designed some some rocks and sold them for millions of dollars. You know, it's like, it, it's hard to imagine, but there's a large, there's a part of me that thinks that there's like a buddy selling it to another buddy and they're just doing cross mingling sort of thing. And, and, and artifice, cause I, from the collectibles business, collectibles business, I know what happens like on eBay and stuff, for example, like somebody will post their item, someone buys it, pays too much for it sort of thing. And then they sell it behind the scenes. Like things like that happen all the time. Auction houses, you'll get like some big auction house where they bid up an item super high. And then they really just bought their own item back. You like things like that happen all the time. Um, so it's, it makes sense that they're bidding each other up in these uh, you know, I, I don't, I like nope. the, I, I call them the JPEGs, but, yeah. uh, it's, it's just, I think that there's a lot of that going on, but at the end of the day, it will come to Bitcoin. So it's like something that I don't want to just only be bashing in a way. It's like, let them do their thing. It's a, it's, 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 it's not the Bitcoiner way to not allow a free market. It's the Bitcoiner way to allow a fool to be a fool and allow us a genius to be a genius. I find that to be like a, you know, I, I wouldn't consider like if I, I don't know what the definition of a maximalist is. I only have Bitcoin. Like I don't have anything else. So I, in regards to what I keep in, in the digital realm, it's Bitcoin. So I guess I'm technically a maximalist, but I don't only have Bitcoin. I have all other, and I have a lot of other investments, especially in my company as well. But I just think that it's, it's a benefit to allow a free market to be a free market and allow a fool to be a fool sort of thing. Um, that's, couldn't, that'd be my approach on it. What, yeah. What do you, what do you think on that? I'm, I'm curious. No, I couldn't agree more. I think that's, uh, I think a lot of maximalists get a lot of flack. Some of the altcoiners say, oh, but aren't you, a, aren't you a Bitcoiner? Why are you bashing on altcoiners so much? Aren't you a free market maximalist? And I, I just think my response to that is always, yeah, you can go do your, do your own thing. And like you said earlier, let the kind of Darwinian natural selection competition do run its own path, run its own phase. And I think, 
Um, I think that's where a lot of maximalists come from. And I think we're just all for educating the people and saying, hey, look, those NFTs over there, they're a scam. And I um, like the one of the OpenSea, one of the marketplaces for the NFTs, I was reading the tweet yesterday. I think one of their managers or one of their employees actually just got done literally only a couple of days ago. He was front running all of the transactions on the NFT. So when a really popular NFT would be listed on the homepage and everybody would see it, this little private wallet from the dude who was an employee at OpenSea, they tracked him on the blockchain and he was buying all of those things just before they got listed on the homepage. And he had to come out and make like a public apology. Oh yeah, I've been busted. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But that validates what you and were he saying. And he admitted it? He went, he went public about it? Like he admitted it? Yeah. Yep. And oh, OpenSea. Wow. OpenSea had to make like a public declaration and say, yeah, uh, we're, we're not a fan of this kind of behavior. We're looking into it internally. Uh, so that, that validates what you say. So, a lot of it. So he, it was just to like, be like, clarify this. He owned the NFT that then got ad free advertisement by being at the front page of OpenSea. And he's, so he's basically like everybody logs onto OpenSea and then boom, his NFTs front page. That's what you're saying right now. So, so, so it's not his, um, but he got done on 10 separate occasions um, before the NFT gets listed on the homepage. This employee would go and buy that NFT um, and then he would obviously dump it. And I think he got done um, doing that front running all the transactions. So there is a lot of wash training in NFTs. Be careful out there, ladies and gentlemen, all of the money will flow back into the Bitcoin ocean. Like Rob so eloquently said earlier, I love that quote. And I was going to actually get you to expand on it um, in this interview because I, I think I heard you say it in Dennis's podcast the other day. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. That's really good. All of that it's, money, it's true. shit coins. It is. Gotta, it is. Like the, the, the people who I, I, at least I'd noticed like in, in, in my business that the people who are kind of patient and wait behind the scenes, like there was times where I would just always be in the heat of things and always trying to battle everybody for the item that I wanted or whatever it might be. But the, the person who's calm and waits patiently behind the scenes often gets the best deals and often has the most like, um, and has the most solvency, for example, like if you're sitting behind the scenes and everybody knows, oh yeah, Robbie's sitting with 200 grand liquid all the time. So it's like, okay, well, if I want to move 50 grand worth of things, I might call Rob, you know, because, because it's like, a, he's sitting there with the liquidity and he's just being patient. So to be the ocean in things is, is, um, very important and to be patient about your, your moves and your strategies, uh, and don't get caught on the hamster wheel of things. So I've noticed that with the altcoiners are doing a lot of trading, a lot of stuff going on but they don't research what a capital gain is. So all these NFT trading and stuff. So if you made a hundred grand on NFTs, well, you really only made 60. So a person who was in Bitcoin that made 60,000, but didn't sell yet, never declared a capital gain. And, and there's there, they get that huge premium there because they never declared a capital gain. So they're, they're able to, to suck up more profit and let things run. And that, that also goes for shorts. So somebody short Bitcoin, they have a limited upside, but they have a definite, need to cover at some point if they don't cover they'll just lose everything because it, it costs money to have a short position uh, in a timeline horizon especially a put option so if you have a put option you only have a select duration of time for it to get to, for it to drop otherwise you're going to have to cover and you have to buy uh, yourself out of the, the put option um same thing if you're just shorting the regular stock it, you're going to you have a select duration of time and you're paying a premium to have that short in so they're going to have to keep um buying there's that guy was his name james bang or something right or, yeah Dude, dude, that guy, the thing is like, I feel terrible because he's being very quiet now, but like he had, he had admitted to like almost a million dollar loss. And then, uh, he said he was still short at times. So it's like, it just mm -hmm. kept going. Uh, so there's a situation there where you could be margin called, 
where you lose like more than your original investment and you have to put up money that you weren't expecting to put up and you get caught in a, you get caught in a bind like that when you're short where you could have you actually in, in a, some situations they're able to mitigate that risk but there is a situation where you can get caught in unlimited downside with limited upside but unlimited downside if you have a runner you're going to get margin called and just completely decimated on a short position and lose everything and go bankrupt. That's why these people are trying to squirt, short squeeze um, like AMC, GameStop. Uh, when Tesla had the short squeeze scenario, that was like literally making people go bankrupt. Like you don't hear from Jim Chanos anymore, mm-hmm. right? Jim Chanos was, whew, that, that dinosaur was fully out of the cave, like coming out and, oh, Tesla is going to go bankrupt, this, this, and that. Now you don't hear from Kanikos and Associates or whatever. You don't hear from, from Jim Chanos. He only comes out and he's, oh, you're the guy who called in on. Fantastic. But those short sellers get their face ripped off. They get their face ripped off and they go back to the cave and they go hide and they pretend like it never happened and they come out again when they had one good trade. But all in the grand scheme of things, they're failures. They all fail, especially in a market like we've had. So it's like you want to time out something and have an unlimited amount of upside to it and make a, a strategic investment. Um, and Bitcoin is that. Um, so that's why I like collectibles. That's why I like Bitcoin. That's why I like these assets because it's like I can go with conviction and sleep well at night and I have an unlimited amount of upside. But I would never want to short any of these things. Like when I bashed on, um, I bashed on like the AMC crowd because they think it's a movement. And it's like, this isn't a movement. How do you get the money out? Like that's the dumbest thing to me. So like, I mean, this is actually a really big point because that AMC crowd is huge. You'd be very surprised, like millions and millions of people in the AMC and, and uh, that Reddit crowd. And it's like, well, let's say, I mean, I've heard them say it's going to get to 50 trillion. It's going to open up a wormhole and we're going to get AMC movie theaters to 50 trillion dollars. Right. Okay. And it's like, okay, you guys know gold market cap is 12 trillion, right? So you're going to get almost 5x gold market cap, four or 5x gold market cap. You're going to 50x Bitcoin, right? With a movie theater stock. Okay. You guys know they can do a secondary, right? Oh, you didn't. You didn't know that they could just dilute their stock and do a secondary and they'll probably do that if they're smart and take the money in for the company like Tesla did. Like, okay, there's that. But then on top of it, let's say it does get to 50 trillion, opens up a wormhole, everything gets devastated. The whole market is in turmoil. How do you get? your money out. If you own X amount of shares in AMC, you don't own, you don't have custody of your shares. Like you can't take, and that's why on-chain data is so big is you can't take that data off of the stock market. I can't go and self-hold my MicroStrategy shares. I'm trusting that TD Ameritrade has them. I'm hoping they do. And I'm trusting that when I do want to sell them, I'm trusting, I'm not verifying, I'm trusting. There's no verification there. So I'm trusting TD Ameritrade that they're going to wire transfer my money if MicroStrategy goes to where I want it to be. I'm going to trust them that they're going to sell it for me when I ask them to sell it for me. And I'm going to trust them that they're going to wire it into my bank. And then I'm going to go to my bank and I'm going to trust them to give me the money. And then I'm going to trust the money that has been diluted by the country, by the Fed, right? So there's trust processes there that I don't like in the stock market. And so it goes against everything I believe in to put money into the stock market. I just happen to think MicroStrategy... The fact that they have this much Bitcoin makes them a really good investment. And if it wasn't for that, I would not be involved in any stock. But it blows my mind, these meme stocks, that they think that they have value there. They don't. And they've proven this. I mean, Robinhood only allowed you to sell. They already have done this to you. The the exchanges have pulled wildcards on you already. And you think that they're not going to do it again? Of course they're going to do it again. Of course, you're going to limit your ability to buy it. If it goes to, they're not going to allow that to happen. And if it does happen, you're not going to be able to get that profit out. And by the time the 
when you try to get the profit out, the, thing, the measurement, the unit of measure is dollars. It's not Bitcoin. It's dollars. It's not gold. It's dollars. So the unit of measure of these stocks and the ability to get the money out is a severe problem that anybody in the Bitcoin community that believes in like Murphy's Law looks at that and goes, this is fools. These are a bunch of fools. This makes no sense at all. And they hate to hear that. Because I made a meet that 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 video I did. I mean, it still got a decent uh, amount of likes on it. I think, but it, usually I'm in like a pretty high percentage of likes to dislikes. But that video was like down to like 85 percent or something. And uh, like they really didn't like when I was trashing on the meme stocks. But I'm telling them the truth. They don't exactly. have custody of it. Hundred yeah. percent. I, th- I think that's a great point. Um, and people don't like to hear that. They don't like to hear that you need to trust the stockbroker and the banks to be able to pay you when shit hits this when you want to take your profits. And I think you started um, by mentioning the fact that Bitcoin lowers your time preference. If you just sit patiently in Bitcoin and just wait for all that money to flow into it, that's that's the that's the thing you sh- you guys should be doing and taking opportunity of because you never know. If you never know when the United States overnight could announce Bitcoin as the next global reserve currency and the price is going to gap from $50,000 to $500,000 overnight. And if you're trading all of these other illiquid shit coins, they're not going to pump by, what, a 1,000% overnight. But your Bitcoin in cold storage that you're not fucking around with, that's going to pump. And that's that's kind of rewards your lowered time preference. And I think that's a big thing a lot of the gamblers and the traders aren't taking into account, whether that be shitcoiners or whether that be AMC and GameStop traders. Um, I did see that video and it was a funny one and it's a great point. You don't own the stocks, ladies and gentlemen. You own your Bitcoin in cold storage, but you don't own the stocks sitting on some other uh, stock trading platform. So I think that's an important- That's the wild card. That's the wild card. It's like, this is a completely new alpha predator in the room that we never expected to be there. Nobody expected this to exist, you know? And it's like, the fact that it does exist is really the only hope that we have. Like, that's what, that's what got me into it is when I go down a rabbit hole, like I'm able to make, um, like there's times where my entire, I'll, I'll make a bet on collectibles that nobody's valuing yet. And those have been some of my best trades where I've put like a hundred grand on the line on a certain cornering a certain market. And I go like, yeah, this market is way undervalued and I could be losing my, my shirt. I could lose my shirt on stuff like that. But when you have something where you realize like, oh, I have an alpha predator in the room here and this could, this is really the only option. There is no other option. So that, that mentality that I have in collectibles where I'm able to make a crazy decision on something and, and shift a market or something like that, or be a market maker. I look at Bitcoin and I go, I, there is no other option for the, because like, when I, I think about, like they have a lot of gold. The central banks, they have a lot of gold. So if we're only going to buy gold and silver, like you're not going to be able to change the system with only gold and silver, because then what are you going to do? Are you going to trust a blockchain based gold and silver? Because you can't do that because then you're trusting a custodian again. They could get they could get stolen, robbed, all these different things. So a blockchain based gold and silver will not work. Peter Schiff is 100 percent wrong and he knows it. He just doesn't want to admit it. Uh, there's no way in hell a blockchain based gold and silver would ever work. You're trusting a custodian again. Every single time a tr- custodian has been trusted, they run away with it. So that's not going to work. Now, if you're holding it as an asset and you're holding it in your own safe and you have your own situation, that makes sense. But if you're trusting another company or you're trusting an ETF with your silver and gold, it's, I mean, there's some that are better than others, but realistically, like one of the craziest things uh, is SLV is actually owned, like the SLV is a silver ETF, right? So if you look up SLV, it's silver, um, silver trust or whatever it is. 
if you read the actual documents to SLV, the custodian of the silver for SLV is none other than JP Morgan, Chase JP Morgan. Like they're the ones holding the silver in their vaults, Chase Bank. And they're the ones who have been caught for multiple felony accounts of manipulation of precious metals. Those are the people you're trusting. That's no verification there. You don't verify how much silver's in the vault and test it every day. There's no auditing like of every other day of how much silver's in the vault. We don't know what's going on with SLV. It's all held in JP Morgan's custody and they've been proven to be felons. Like they've literally been caught for multiple felonies and they settle outside of court for a reason because they're guilty. And so it's like, that's the people we're trusting. No, I don't want to trust a custodian. Um, so Bitcoin has this opportunity where you really can be the custodian of the money. Um, and so like, as I go down that funnel of like, what is the possible solution here? Is there any possible solution to the problem that we have at hand? And the problem that we have at hand is bingo players in control of the monetary system. They went to the local bingo hall in, in DC and they said, Hey, you guys want to run the fed? And they're like, oh, sure, bingo. Like, yeah, I'll go. Like, no problem, you know? And so it's like you get them in there and you have Powell and you get yelling and you got these individuals that go in there and they just basically only know how to play bingo and they're somehow disguised as economists. And they just basically say, okay, so basically what you're going to have to do is lie to the, everybody, right? You're going to have to lie to everybody and just remember what you did in bingo and just just act like a professional, like you're calling out bingo numbers. But uh, it's it's ridiculous that we have them in control of the monetary system and there's no answer to it other than Bitcoin. My only hope is that these on-ramps to Bitcoin don't get shut down. Like I want to see if, if these, if you're watching this video, make sure you use the on-ramp and you use the off-ramp more importantly. And if they get rid of the off-ramp and there's only an on-ramp, then you're in the same situation where you're trusting a custodian again. And that's where we have a problem, you know, because I wouldn't believe in Bitcoin the same way if I had to have it stuck in an exchange. It would completely change the narrative of Bitcoin in my mind. Um, which is the beauty of it is that the miners have the non-KYC stuff and they basically dictate what happens with that supply in the future. But right now, I mean, we're at, what, 18 million of them mined? Um, and, but there was a good point brought up in one of these Twitter spaces recently where um, I would love to get your take on this is that there's actually like 3 million of the coins lost. Yep. So we all talk about a 21 million cap. We actually should be saying a 19 million cap 100%. or an 18 million cap, right? Is, is that correct? Like, how do, how do you feel about that, Luke? Yeah, I think about 4 million of the coins are lost um, and another 4 to 5 million of the coins haven't moved in like over three to four years. So the amount of coins that are actually illiquid out of the total Bitcoin supply is something like 86% of the coins haven't moved in over six months or 12 months. Don't quote me on that exact figure, guys, but a lot of the coins aren't for sale. And when you're doing the calculations of um, trying to figure out where Bitcoin could be in the long run, that's why you've got to use like a multiplier. So every $1 that flows into Bitcoin, you actually need to put a 3x multiplier on it. So if $1 trillion comes into the Bitcoin space, that actually should add $3 trillion to the market cap um, because a lot of the supply is either lost or it's in wallets from people who aren't actually selling their Bitcoin. So when I run through the numbers and I say, hey, look, Bitcoin's going to be worth $100 million a coin one day, people say, how do you get to that? Well, if there's $900 trillion of assets around the world, People say, well, there's 21 million coins. Where, where are you getting that figure from? Well, out of the 21 million, there's only, I think, about 10 million coins that will actually be for sale at that price. So you go your 900 trillion divided by 100 million. Uh, sorry, you go 900 trillion divided by your 10 million coins that are actually for sale. You're looking at a 90, a $90 million per Bitcoin price tag on it. So there, there are definitely coins that are lost. Um, and I think 
um, the more coins that are lost, the 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 better it is for the Bitcoin holders. The more valuable. We're not it is. talking about that enough. Like people mm -hmm. are not talking about that enough. The idea that you have 21 million units and four million of them, if not maybe even more, are lost. And then how much of it is held in cold storage where it's not moving wallet locations? Like, dude, it, that supply is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking of something that will inevitably be divided into 100 million units. So that inflationary, it makes no sense to have a deflationary money. Uh, it makes a ton of sense when you realize that that can go, it goes deflationary, deflationary, deflationary. Oh, it can be divided into 100 million units. Now it's just valued at a ton more money for the people that have it in layer one. So like, I think that it inevitably will be denominated in Satoshis. Things will be cost Satoshis when you go to get groceries, stuff like that. If in a hyper-Bitcoinized world, uh, it has to be denominated into Satoshis. It makes no sense to be like, this costs 0 0.000001 Bitcoin for you know a smoothie or something. Like it's not gonna make sense to do that. Uh, they're gonna wanna say this smoothie is a million sats or this smoothie is like, a, 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 like 300 sats or whatever it is at the time. But to put it in perspective, if you have a million dollar Bitcoin, you have a one cent sat. And if that wasn't game theoried out by Satoshi, I, of course that was like, it's perfect. You get a million dollar coin, you have a one cent sat. You get a hundred million dollar coin, I bet without make it a $1 sat, right? If it's a yep. hundred million dollar coin, yeah, $1 sat. So I think that's the stages of the game. It's getting to a million. And I think that people don't understand how easily it can get to a million a coin. I mean, to really put it into perspective, and then you'll get the people like I made that post on Twitter saying, you know, talking about this saying if you had the same gain that it had over the last 365 days over the next 365 days, you'd have a quarter million dollar coin at the end of from today, 365 days into the future, one year from today, 12 months, boom, you have a quarter million dollar coin. Now they'll say, oh, well, you've had a bull market. This is not have we, though. We had a bull market that went to, you know, 60, 65, 66K, and then it pulled back down to the 30,000s range. So it cut in half in this time period. And it had a, I would call that to be pretty healthy because then it recovered slowly and steadily back up to 48,000. So, I mean, it's a bull market, sure, that we've experienced, but it's had plenty of pullback and, and a lot of testing going on there. And I think it could easily do the same thing, if not more. It could, it could do 10X over the next 365 days. I mean, it, at this rate, <laughs> it gets to a million pretty quick. And I would argue that the reason I've been so bullish on it is because it's so misunderstood right now. It's, it's just ridiculously misunderstood. One it's exciting. No, I couldn't agree more. Sorry to cut you off there. I was just going to say, no, no, I, I'm cutting, I'm cutting you. I, get <laughs> I, I like talking with you, Luke, because it's like, it's, it's, um, and other, and when I get interviewed, sometimes there's people like, I'll feel like, am, am I going to get caught off? Are they trying to catch me off guard? Are they trying to get me to say something weird and put me on a meme somewhere or whatever? You know, am I going to be, but it's like, you, you're a very, um, you're, you're inquisitive and you'd make, you make a great interviewer. I think you're going to be really successful at, at your podcast and everything you're doing, man. No, I really uh, appreciate that. Dude. Kind words. I really do appreciate that. I just love talking to Bitcoiners in the Bitcoin space. It's um, some of the conversations we've had in these spaces have been amazing. And I just thought more and more people need to hear some of the conversations we've had. And this is actually probably a good point to round up on. Um, you've like before you found Bitcoin and your YouTube channel, you had a pretty damn successful business, if I do say so myself. So if you had any kind of words of advice to people out there, 
who had a dream or they were kind of unsure about themselves of what to do, what kind of advice or just some really simple tips that you would give the new person uh, listening to this podcast today? Uh, I guess, I mean, like I, I've made it to a, to a point where I just want to be like, I always want to be real and I've always have been real, but it's like to, to be really serious. It's like drop out of college. Don't go to college. It's the dumbest thing ever. Um, <laughs> people watch that and be like, wait, wait, oh, oh no, no, don't talk about my resume. It's like, don't, you have no idea. I polished this thing. I polished it to be perfect. All the CEOs I know, all of the people with large amounts of expendable incomes, because a lot of people, if I'm selling a $10,000 collectible, they have an expendable income. If they're buying a Rolex, they have a spent expendable income. They don't care about your resume. They care about you as a person. So if you want a job, like if you want any job in the world, if you walked up to a business owner and said, hey, I have nothing going for me. I have no college degree. I have no good resume. I haven't worked for anybody in your industry, but I'll tell you something. I'll work harder than anybody else you have ever seen in your entire life. And I'm going to work for free for a whole month. I will work a whole month for you for free. And I will provide you so much value that you won't be able to get rid of me. So what do you say? Can I work for you for free for a whole month? And then you'll probably get an opportunity by saying that. And when you do get the opportunity, make sure you over deliver. And when you over deliver, they're going to, at the end of over delivery, maybe it's a month, maybe it's a half, month and a half, whatever. Maybe it's two weeks. This, this is how I got a prestigious waiter job. And when I say prestigious waiter job, I mean, I was making 80, 70, 80, 90,000 a year as a waiter. So it was pretty good money as a waiter. Um, you will over deliver. And then you look at them and say, can you get rid of me? Can you lose? Can you afford to lose me now? If you provide, I think that there's a huge amount of people out there that get so caught up on polishing themselves and, and wanting to be the fisher that they forget to be the magnet. And so there's, there's too much of that going on where it's like you put a fancy resume and you polish it up and it's actually a negative. Like I'm looking for, I want a coder for mineral exchange. Cause I'm looking to, to launch a new website. I want um, a video editor. I would like, like, a, a person that's just like a right hand around here in the warehouse. Like I, I would like to hire a lot of people, but I don't uh, the extra rooms. I turned into like a gym. I don't need a gym in my warehouse, but I just don't like people. So I just made a gym in here. Uh, like the reception is literally a spot where I just let boxes get dropped off. Like I just like to have an open door for people just to walk in the front and just drop off boxes in the front. So there's nobody working there either. I just am self-made self all self-contained because I just don't like these resumes. I'll look at resumes now. I guess that's why I brought it up is like, I look at resumes and it's like, it draws me away. Whereas I just want like another kid like I was in the beginning. That's just some homeless kid that comes in like, Hey, I just know how to wait tables and I live out of my car. And like, I'll work really hard though, you know? And I, I know how to do social media marketing. I know how Instagram works. I know how Facebook works. These are all things. There's so much stuff going on right now. Like the whole world. Uh, I brought this up with Jeff Booth actually on that last Twitter space is it's like, the whole world got flipped upside down in 2007 when YouTube came out and the iPhone came out at the same time in 2007, they actually dropped at the same time. Like aliens just decided, give them YouTube and iPhones at the same time, uh, put it in Steve jobs brain, make it happen. And so when that happened, the whole world got tectonically shift. I mean, like the, the college system got flipped completely upside down because all you knew how to do is learn from textbooks the internet wasn't developed like it is now. And so like, this is all improvements over the last 10, 15 years. I would argue more important than like the last five to eight years range, because that's when like things started making some real movement was around like 2012, 2013 with all, of, that's like when things got saturated with Instagram and whatnot. 
So it's like, do you know how many people need a social media marketer? I know I do, but do they teach that in college? No, no, they don't. They teach you how to polish your resume and look like you're a business major or a psychology major or make you spend eight years to be a lawyer or a doctor, whatever it is. It's like, it's ridiculous. And then on top of that, they're going to put this huge pile of debt on you. It's basically uh, putting a ball and chain on you because you're stuck with all this debt over your head. And so I, I would argue that the, the best thing that you could possibly do, because I like to give like real advice and something that would actually change somebody's life is take 100% control of your time. Take 100% control of your time, give it to nobody at all costs. So maybe like for me, I had to save up some money as a waiter. And then I went like, I'm going to go live in the warehouse instead of getting a studio apartment. That was like my biggest trick. I turned to like, I made like a Jimmy rig shower and I basically lived in my warehouse for like five something years, five, five or six years. Um, but I had high speed internet here. I had this table here, ironically enough. Like I got this crazy conference table. It's like some fancy table. I got it for free off Craigslist. Somebody was getting rid of their conference table. And I'm like, that, you know, it's like a $3,000 table, right? Like, um, I'm going to take that off your hands. No problem. You know? And so like, I, I basically brought this table for free off Craigslist, but it's all when I was living in the warehouse, just accumulating stuff to give me tools to, to grow. But the key was I lowered my costs on everything and then made sure that my overhead was that when it was minimal, that I had 24, seven, three, six, five answer to nobody. I had high speed internet. I had computers. I had an iPhone. I had all the tools at my disposal, but I also had 24, seven, three, six, five. And there's so many people that'll go to a job they hate. And then they just get brainwashed because when they get back from the job, they're like, Oh, I'm going to go smoke, a, smoke a bowl. And I'm going to go drink a beer and I'm just going to go to bed because I don't want to deal with like life has been so terrible lately. And they get in that mindset of like, Oh, I dreadful. I have to wake up and I'm going to get some coffee and I'm going to go do this, but they're not waking up with like this, this spirit to go and do something good with their life. So, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm passionate about that subject. It's a good question to ask me because I want to help people now. Yeah. Um, like the only thing I have like at this point is just like, I'm obviously like, I'm, I'm still a hustler. I'm still the same kid that would drive state to state to state finding collectibles and pawn shops that they didn't value correctly. Uh, there was no better feeling to me than making a pawn shop because pawn shops rip everybody off. So it's like, it's great to go to a pawn shop and make them hand feed you like 10 grand and give them a grand, you know, like they give you like a fancy collectible and they had no idea it was fancy, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm still that guy that's a hustler. But at the end of the day, it's like, at this point, I'd like to help people. And if I could give one piece of advice, I'd say the entire college education system is a scam. 100% a scam. And I would never go to college. Uh, if I, especially, especially if I was trying to be an entrepreneur, uh, because if you have, if you have passion, you have high speed internet and you have a c computers and an iPhone or whatever it is, dude, the world is your oyster. You can do anything. So these kids are just being lied to today. It's like, just, just get full control of your time, give your time to nobody and just figure it out. So I guess the last thing I would say to, to bring that all together is say like in a realistic scenario, say you find a place that's $500 a month for rent, then your internet is like 50 bucks a month, right? Uh, whatever it might be. And like you accumulate all of this together and say it's a thousand dollars, you're able to get your overhead down to a thousand. Now it might be pretty hard for a lot of people. I was able to get it to that. And I had a pretty, pretty great setup where it was like, now nah, it was like 1500, 1800 range, but I still got it pretty, pretty damn low. Um, now you multiply that figure by 12. So now you have, so you need, you need to come up with $12,000 to have a year of free time all to yourself with high speed internet and nobody to answer to. You have full control of your time, what time you sleep, what time you wake up, what time you go to the gym, what time you work on something. All these different things rely solely on you. So you have no excuses anymore. 
and people really don't value the time of being alone. It was uh, the greatest inventor of all time, Nikola Tesla, is why I have him here. Um, and there's, there's, I don't want to go into too much detail about him, but he did say something that, that I'd like to bring up to tie it all together is he says, be alone. That's where the ideas come from. Be alone. Don't let, don't let other people distract you. And I mean, dude, there was times like my own family came to my warehouse. What are you doing living here, Rob? Like, what is wrong with you? Why, why you're so smart. You should go to college. This is stupid. You live on the couch here and you take showers in this Jimmy rigged shower in the bathroom here. Like, this is crazy. You don't even have hot water. What's wrong with you? And I would just, I had a vision like I'm, and I'm still on that path. Like I'm not, I'm not done. I'm just getting started. Like I, I haven't even gotten, I just started launching my website and starting getting more on the, like acquiring the right websites and doing the next things with the business. Um, I mean, I'm the reason I chose the term mineral exchange is because the minerals, everything. And I've been fascinated by GI certified stones for a long time. So I want to get into diamonds, emeralds, rubies, um, you know, high end tanzanite, stuff like that, opals. Uh, so that's what the next thing is for mineral exchange and launching the next e-commerce store. But it's, uh, it's always a, a process, but all in all, I would say be alone. If you are who you surround yourself with, what if you're alone for a while? I and love that. What happens there? So that's, that's really the truth. You're around a bunch of stoners. You're going to probably be a stoner. You're around a bunch of people drinking, probably going to be somebody drinking. And know what they do? They turn into nobodies begging you for a job later on if you've been working. You know, like they're going to start coming down. And the thing is, they're not valuable. So just make sure that you're a valuable person. If you want to get a job, make sure you provide value. And if you want to build a company, make sure your company provides value to somebody. And don't be caught up on like catching them with your, that's, that's, that's what a, a boss hates. A boss hates getting caught with that, you know, the hook, you know, and be like, oh, I, Real, give me the job, reel me in. And then when you get the job, you lied to get the job because you're not really valuable for that job or something, you know? And then they're just like, oh, I've been lied to. Like, fire this guy. What am I doing with it? Like, I'm not going to pay him more money. Like, put him in the, some desk job somewhere. Because it's like, if you didn't provide the value that you, they implied, then it's, it was just a waste of time for everybody. So just make sure you're valuable and make sure you're going after something you want to do. Anyway, I'll talk forever on that. I, it's uh, really no, a pleasure please talking do. to you, Luke. You know, I'd say, I'm sorry, sorry to go on a tangent about that, but I, I love the idea of like helping more of the youth because this is something, it's almost like I'm speaking to me at 18. Like I'm, yep. I'm, I, I wish that I was like across the table cause I'm 28 now. So it's like, if I could go back 10 years and look at myself across the table and go, Rob, drop out, don't go to college. Don't let them make you feel like you're stupid because you're not interested in calculus. You know, it, it, that's, that's what they do is they teach goldfish how to climb a tree. And it's like, it's like, wait a minute, you know, uh, maybe I'm a monkey and I don't like swimming all that much and I could climb trees really well, you know? Uh, so it's like, you could be one or the other. And it's like, just find out what you're passionate about because passion leads you everywhere. Uh, if you don't have passion for what you're doing every day and so many kids, the, the people who are going to create the future, they're getting this, like, they're getting destroyed mentally because they're being forced to read books from like 1984 on economics. Like, could you imagine, like, they force you to buy a $400 textbook from, like, 19-whatever that's not even relevant because the whole world's changed since this textbook was written, and they're, like, learning, like, some Keynesian economics or whatever, you know, some crazy, like, thing that makes no sense at all, and, like, they might not even have an Austrian economics class there. They're just forced to, to read a different, the wrong type of economics, and it's like, but that might be a prerequisite where they're forced to go there just to get a prerequisite. What a, what a terrible idea. Let's force kids to take classes they don't want to do just to put the thing on their resume to get them to what they do want to do. It's like, what kind of, that's like, that's filler material. 
You ever buy like an album? You buy like an album and the, the, the artist has two songs that are good, but like 10 that are crap, but they filled up the whole album. So you pay the 15 bucks or whatever for the album. It's like that, that's filler material. I just want the two songs. I want to do what I want to know how to do. I want to learn social media marketing. Why am I paying for this? Whereas you could have just went to like um, masterclass and learn. If you want to be a chef, you can go to masterclass and learn how to be a chef under Gordon Ramsay for like $300 a year. That's what happens in a deflationary environment. And the information is a major deflationary environment. So why in a deflationary environment are people paying this inflated price for education? It's, it's completely lopsided. It's a scam. If anything, it's, it's, it's exactly what like Jeff Booth would say, you know, it's uh it's the truth. It's, this is, it, it, this is a deflationary world where things are becoming easier and easier due to technology. And one of the easiest things is to go on YouTube and learn stuff for free. Like how much information do people learn in this interview for free? It's like that it's out there. Um, just learn it, you know, whether it's cold storage, whatever it is, go out there and learn it. And it's, it's free. So why are we paying 50000 a semester to go to some fancy, ritzy college to say you went to Yale or Stanford or Harvard? They all suck. They all suck. And at the end of the day, like, what is that, that whole argument? Well, I network. I network here at this college. You don't understand. I'm going to meet, the, I'm gonna meet my, my, the snob who runs this hedge fund's son, who's a snob, and then I'm going to cozy up to this snob and kiss their ass. And then his snob son's going to get me his snob dad to give me a job at their snob hedge fund, and I'm going to work in a cubicle. You don't even know. That's how it's going to work here with my business degree at this college. You don't know what you're talking about, Rob. It's like, yeah, go ahead and do that and find out that it's not, it's not what you think. Um, that's how I feel. I got a big chip on my shoulder with college because I, I wish I never went to three years of it before finding out that it was not for me. Um, and that I made way more money as a waiter than I ever would have made off any college job. Uh, but that's, that's the, how I feel about it. <laughs> long story <laughs> I, short. I don't know how long I tangent on that. Yeah, no, I was up super late last night, bro. So like, I just kind of am on a, <laughs> on a tear right now. But uh, yeah, was, I, I hope that that helps some people because um, I wish I knew that I, God, I wish I knew that information when I was like 16, 17, 18. That would have been so cool if somebody sat down to me and talked to me like that. Uh, that was so valuable, mate. There's no way I was going to interrupt that tangent. That was so valuable and I couldn't agree more. Um, I dropped out of uni in 2018 after finding Bitcoin and I noticed the same things you noticed. This is a fucking scam. I'm paying $30,000 a year for this education to learn about Keynesian economics. And it's just, not, it's a scam. You can learn everything you want on the internet. And as Jeff Booth says, everything is abundant. In, in, a, in a technological revolution, everything the cost of everything is decreasing, okay? You can learn anything you want from tuning in and listening to YouTube videos. And if you're passionate enough, you can learn anything you want to learn. And like you said, a really key point that you made there was uh, make yourself a magnet, provide value, go and provide value to someone and you will be successful. Work hard, free up your time and you will be successful. So on that note, I think that's a really good point to wrap up the uh, interview. I would highly recommend everyone go check out uh, Rob's YouTube channel. You have a new YouTube channel as well, Rob, don't you at the moment? Yeah, I uh, decided that I'm going to start doing some podcasts and then I'm going to do a clips channel as well. Um, it, it's, a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And so I guess one thing that I would say is, although I just dropped a lot of stuff that I've learned over the years, is this is like still stuff that I'm learning. It's still stuff that I'm trying to implement in my life. Um, one thing, one of the biggest, like rather than just only talk about like I'm some know-it-all, I would like to end on that, like one of the demons that I face is comfort uh, because I never was comfortable uh, until I was from a, my teens until 
where I am now. I mean, I was just a little, like I, I posted on Twitter that I was just a little street rat skateboarding every day. Like I just, that's all I would do is just be at a skate park all day skateboarding. Um, but these are all things I'm trying to implement in my life because this is the first time in my life where I've been able to be like, oh, I got this fancy place with a marble shower now when I used to take showers in some Jimmy rigged Amazon setup in a, in a cheap bathroom. You know, I can have to pour out, literally had like a 10 gallon bucket that I poured out every day after taking a shower, like take a shower in a bucket with like a little upside down tent, you know, and like a little Jimmy rig shower rig. So it's like to go from that to have like some fancy marble shower with the fancy overhead thing and the side jets and all of that crap, you know, you get comfortable. And that's why people do like the ice therapy, like the Wim Hof method and all that stuff, because you got to, you got to seek discomfort. But when you get success, you get comfortable. And so some of my, what if I had a big criticism of myself is not putting content out the way that I should because I'm too comfortable and living lavish now, right? And um, that's something that I have to criticize myself about. So I, I need to be better about um, not getting too comfortable, not getting complacent. And it's, it's so important because you, you all, once, once you get a little taste of success, that comfort demon just comes over you. And you got to watch out for that. So it's like I'm almost when I'm saying those types of things, I'm trying to talk to myself in a way. Uh, so don't think that I, I know it all. I don't know it all. Uh, these are just the little bits of information that I do know. And so I just try to get that out there. Um, I really respect how you have like the I, I keep looking at your screen over there. And like I have me on one of these screens. I have you on one of these screens. I have the <laughs> phone right there. All these different things. But I, I, I love that whiteboard in the back that you have all of your notes written out eloquently like Boys. that it's, it's it, it makes my my ocd brain feel good to see that uh and so like that's that's a sign of a winner 100 percent. the biggest thing i guess i left that out is writing things down writing things down not just putting it in your iphone notepad not just putting it in some like thinking you're going to think of it later you might have the best idea in the world but if you don't write it down that's what george carlin would say it's like how do you remember these crazy amounts of jokes george carlin your jokes are so long in these crazy tangents because he writes them all down and he reads what he wrote. You'd be so surprised how good you memorize things and how your thoughts get organized when you write it down. It's just such a it's small, simple, stupid, simple thing, but it can change your whole life. And I have notepads. Like I went on Amazon and I just bought all these notepads and I have pens and, ev pens and pads in every single room that I'm in so that I can write down my ideas and try to get my thoughts coordinated. Granted, I have a lot of ADD situations going on in my brain where uh, I can't think of the same thing at once, but me too, it helps brother. as well. But, but hey, Luke, <laughs> it's honestly, it's a pleasure talking with you, man. And anytime I'm always available, uh, I, I would love to always chat with you and just talk about the future of this. And it's just such a blessing to be able to reach out to people in this Bitcoin community and be able to, to help other people understand how big this is. Because really, it's not, it's not, I guess the ending thing I would like to say is that it's not gold versus Bitcoin. It's not precious metals versus Bitcoin. It's assets versus fake money. That's what it is. Don't get caught up on that. I mean, even Rolex is appreciated a bit. I think Bitcoin is going to be the fastest horse, horse in the race, and it'd be foolish to have no Bitcoin. Absolutely foolish. But I think that the, the, the amount of fake money out there is staggering. So don't get caught up on the Peter Schiff trying to bash people together because that's nothing. That's like 15 trillion gold and Bitcoin together, all the precious metals in Bitcoin, 15 trillion versus over $900 trillion that could easily flood, not including the derivatives markets. So there's another 400 trillion on top of the 900 trillion. So it's just staggering the amount of money that can flood into those assets. I would argue they have, they're a bunch of slow horses and then Bitcoin's the leader of the, the horses. So that's everything, guys. Uh, Lucas, uh, is it Lucas or just go by Luke? 
You can call me Lucas when I'm in trouble. My mother calls me Lucas when I'm in trouble. <laughs> I like real, that. It's a good name. It's a good name. My real name is just Luke, sadly. But um, yeah, 100% agree. Ignore the Fiat Economists and the Peter Schiffs because like he said earlier, they are just bingo players. Um, ignore the Brian Armstrongs or the thumbs as you called them. I think I lost my shit. That was a little mean. That was a little <laughs> mean, bro. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing so. I, I Actually, no, I don't apologize. I don't like don't. Brian Armstrong. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just, he's, he's, a, he's not our friend. Don't take it back. Don't take it back. I laughed so hard. I had to try and mute my mic. I've never done it before. But um, yeah, I've had an absolute blast chatting with you, mate. I'm sure that uh, this conversation has provided value. You've dropped so many knowledge bombs in this one. So thank you so much for coming on, my friend. Um, Everybody, go and check out Rob's YouTube channel. He has some amazing videos over there. Provides so much value for free to the community. Anything you want to learn in the world, it is free. Information is abundant. So Thank you so much for coming on, Rob. It's been a blast. Hey, anytime. Appreciate you having me on, Luke. Lovely. Thanks, guys.